This episode of Ladies Who League is proudly brought to you by Rugby League Sports Management. Nurturing, assisting, supporting and planning for your rugby league career. Australia Hello everyone and welcome to a very special episode of Ladies Who League. As you know, this week is Women in League Ground, but not just any Women in League Ground. This year is Women in League Ground celebrates 10 years. We think that women in our game are worth celebrating, so every day this week you'll be treated to an interview with a different woman involved in our game. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by current CEO of the Canterbury Bulldogs, Raylene Castle. Hi, Raylene. Hi, Mary. Thank you so much for coming in and making the time. My pleasure. And congratulations on an outstanding win last night. Yeah, thank you. We uh, snuck in there. Uh, it's one of those uh, games that you uh, take the two points and uh, you work on the good things and uh, yeah, just try and make, make sure that you're in a good position to win again next week. Absolutely. So let's start at the beginning. Can you introduce, us, introduce yourself to my audience in about 30 seconds? Uh, well, uh, so the, the weird fact that most people don't know about me is I know I don't sound like it, but I was born in Wagga, Wagga Wagga. My dad was there coaching rugby league uh, in the 70s. Um, so I'm 45, uh, worked in the corporate sector in New Zealand for uh, 15 years before I got into sports administration uh, and was CEO of Netball New Zealand for six years before I came to the Bulldogs, where I've now been for three years. Uh, and our family didn't just like sport. We ate, slept and drank it, uh, which is why for me ultimately being able to combine my commercial experience with my passion for sport um, just means that I'm in a, you know, in a very special position, which I um, absolutely adore every single day. And can you tell us about your earliest memory of rugby league? Uh, well, I've I've got some I've got plenty, and it's uh, it's sitting with Dad. So Dad uh, and I would sit down on a Sunday afternoon. He would have a uh, beer, and I would have a very weak shandy, uh, and we would watch the footy together. And we'd sit side by side, and he would say to me, "You know, watch this or watch that or see this." And we are uh, very fortunate to have the great Terry Lamb work with us as one of our Bulldogs ambassadors. And um, <clears throat> Dad would say to me, right, Ray Lamb, sit, watch Terry. Now, he's the best backer-upperer the game's ever seen. And um, and that was when I first arrived at the Bulldogs, I was sort of very, um, you know, I was very serious for the first few weeks. And then uh, after about uh, four weeks, I said to Terry, Terry, can you come and just see me? And Terry's eyes are like, oh, you know, so you think, oh my God, what's she going to say to me? I said, I just need to tell you a story. And I said to him about Dad and I sitting on the couch and calling him the best backer upper. So it's those types of memories that make uh, rugby league for me and our family very special. Absolutely. And can you tell us about your role at Netball New Zealand and how that's different from your current role at the Bulldogs? Yeah, the interesting thing, I get asked that question a lot, and it's not as different as people might think. Um, at the end of the day, sports uh, administration is, is sort of has three very clear pillars. Um, you need a sporting team that's very successful, or, or you want it to be as successful as it can be, either a team or a program or a sport across a across a nation as, as we had with the you know, responsibility of pathways end to end. Um, you need to make sure you've got a commercial platform that's successful so that you can continue to invest in your football program um, because without that or, or your netball program or your tennis program, whatever it is, um, and you need to give back to the community. 
So it's a very important part of sport, I believe. So if you do those three things um, and you took any brand name off the top of of that strategic plan and put another uh, sports brand on the top, in all honesty, it wouldn't be that different. Um, what makes it different is the challenges, the peripheral challenges, particularly in the Sydney market with the emphasis of, of on rugby league and the media, at how, um, you know, if you pick up the Telegraph today, the first 16 pages are about rugby league. So the amount of content they need to produce uh, means that the emphasis on media of both good and negative stories is very challenging. And I certainly spend a lot more of my week in any, than I ever did at Netball New Zealand massaging or thinking about the implications of, of decisions or media focus or rumours and innuendos and responding or not and all of that sort of thing. So, you know, knowing that you can end up on the back page of the Telegraph does make you think different about things. And I think essentially our sports are like businesses. So they need to be run like businesses, but it's some extra considerations like the media, the involvement of fans that make sports administration just that little bit different. Yeah, and people come to me all the time and say, um, "Can you? I really want to be a sports administrator. What, what, what's your best piece of advice? And I say the best piece of advice is um, if you come from an environment where it's black and white, so the decision's right or wrong, you have to recognise that in sports administration there's a lot more grey. Mm. So it's about handling stakeholders differently. It's about thinking about what might, might keep one group happy is not going to keep another group happy. What's, um, you know, how, how you need to, to manage those implications so that the grey peace um, is a world that you can live in because for a lot of people if it's not right or wrong they're really anxious because they think my goodness I haven't made the right decision because it's not right or wrong but that is the reality and particularly you're dealing with an enormous amount of volunteers uh, as well and then when you when you're in a national sports situation you might have um, you know, 70% of your stakeholder base being um, volunteers mm. so you can't tell them what to do you have to encourage them and you have to um, engage with them and make sure they feel like they're on the boat and, and, and that boat's going faster because of their involvement. So there's a lot more stakeholder management than just um, arbitrarily making decisions and, and making sure the rest of the organisation sees them happen. Absolutely. Now, Raylene, can I take you back to the start of your time at the Bulldogs? What made you apply for the position? What was going through your head when, when you were thinking about that? I'd done six years at Netball New Zealand and I, at five and a half years, I thought, you know, this is the right time for me to go. I'm an advocate for, I think, a CEO's tenure and an organisation the size of a sporting organisation or an NRL club is probably, you know, six to eight years at the most. <clears throat> so I was at that stage thinking I need to think about what the next challenge is for me personally and professionally, but also the right, it's the right thing for Netball New Zealand. So I went to my chairman and said, I think it's time for me to go and look for another opportunity. And she was like, well, you know, we really would prefer you stayed, which is lovely, of course, but actually, you know, we support you 100%. And uh, I'd had a couple of very discreet conversations with a couple of recruiters about what the Australian market might look like from a sporting perspective. Uh, and I was sitting, I can remember as clear as day, I was actually in Melbourne at, a, at an ANZ Championship meeting and uh, I got a uh, email from a recruiter saying the CEO of the Bulldogs job had just been advertised. In the same day, actually, Todd got announced as the new uh, head of football for the NRL, um, which I had been aware of some stuff happening there. And then next thing, it was literally a matter of hours, two hours later, I got in my in my inbox and I rang the recruiter and I said, did I get this by accident? He said, no, you didn't get this by accident. Uh, so, yeah, I went home, had a chat with Greg, and we uh, we decided to, you know, have a crack, which is something that I talk a lot about in, in the environment um, with females and leadership opportunities and really just being brave enough to put your hand up because if you don't put your name in the hat, you haven't got a chance to win. So that's what I did. And 
And I think I love that about you, Raylene, in that you talk about the importance of women putting their hand up because we do want women involved in our game and they're involved at all levels, but you need to be brave enough to say, I want to do this. Here I am. Look at me. Yeah, and I think that the the thing that's been really concerning for me is post um, my appointment and um, my you know public talking about how what a great experience it's been, how welcoming the rugby league community's been, the supportive they've been. Um, there was not a single applicant, female applicant for the Storm new CEO of the Storm role, and I know there was one in the mix for a wee while at the Tigers, but at the end of the day, not on the shortlist. So at the end of the day, we want. I'd love to have another female CEO colleague um, in the group, but um, if they don't apply for the job, I'm not going to have one. Absolutely, and we can stomp our feet that there aren't female CEOs, but if we want female CEOs, they need to put the application. And you can't hire someone unless the application's in. So put your hands up, I think, is the message to come out of here. It's the one. Raylene, since the time you started at the Bulldogs and if we look to now, what's the biggest change that you've seen at the club? I, it was in great shape when I got there, which is one of the things when you come for me into a new market, it's difficult. You move countries, you lose all your networks, you come into a new market and a, a new country and a, and a new environment. Um, so it was great to take over something that was um, in great shape and I didn't have to do any crisis management or anything really major. So we've just continued um, on with the good work that was in place. But the biggest change is the emphasis on our community program. So we've really uh, looked to how we've got a new uh, community strategic plan, which has three pillars, um, and that's um, health and wellness, um, social inclusion, uh, and um, violence prevention. So with our white ribbon being a, um, white ribbon being a major partner. Now, if you think about where we are in Canary Bankstown, we have an enormously challenged environment because we're the most two multicultural suburbs in the whole of Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a significant issue with domestic violence um, and some, some issues with obesity. So that's why those three pillars are in place because we think if we get out and communicate and educate um, the young people coming through the Canary Bankstown district um, and help the new migrants in our area and um, of, of all um, race, creeds and cultures, uh, recognise that by being part of a league team, you can become part of a family and that's how you can further um, more easily integrate into a new society. That's basically our aim. So we think we can make a significant difference in the social um, environment in Canary Banks Town by working hard on those three pillars. And that's a significant change for us and emphasis for us. It's interesting, Raylene, as a Parramatta supporter, I'm meant to hate the Bulldogs. They're a club that I'm not meant to like, but I've increasingly developed a real respect for the work that the Bulldogs are doing and the power of sport to share those messages and to make people feel that they're part of something. And it came uh, to a head for me. I really crystallised in my mind when we were fortunate to make the grand final in 2014. Anyone had said to me previously, if you ever get a chance to be involved in a grand final, you'll never ever see anything like what happens at Belmore. And for about two weeks on an escalated, two to three weeks escalated day by day, um, the streets got closed down, people were partying in the streets. There wasn't a drop of alcohol. It was all just people coming together. And there was age, there was gender, there was race, there was creed, and they were all mixing together. And the only thing they had in common is they had a blue and white jersey on. Absolutely. And so that was, and that was just something to me that was so incredibly powerful. And Tony Abbott at the time came out and called it the bulldog effect. And we sort of took that and ran with that to see, look, if we can actually bring this together. And if you go and sit in our kennel um, on game day, um, it's a, you know, it's an entry ticket of, um, you know, $20 to go and sit in the kennel. You'll have the most amazing rugby league experience because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you're from or what your background is. Um, as long as you've got a blue and white jersey on, you'll be welcomed into that environment. 
I will definitely. Uh, I will come and do that. I'll wear blue and white. We should though. go together. I would yes, love I would, that. I don't think. I don't think you should wear blue and yellow, <laughs> Mary. I think that I'd look after you, but I'm. You know, I won't. I'll wear blue and white. I'm very happy to do. Well, that. Well, you go neutral. You go neutral. <laughs> I'm actually. I'll adopt blue and white. I'm happy to do that. Radio Hub is Australia's premier podcasting facility. With high-quality sound equipment and production services, Radio Hub is a one-stop shop for all your podcasting needs. So, if you're ready to jump into the exciting realm of podcasting, contact Radio Hub on 0402 870 900 or email info at radiohub.com.au. Raylene, what I'm interested in as well, can you tell us about the difference between being a board member at a club, being a CEO and, say, being a coach? Because I think a lot of fans get the positions confused and are confused about the different roles that each should have in an ideal club? Well, I think you just nailed it, Mary. I think should um, and what actually should happen and what does happen are very different. And I think you've seen a move over the last, even though I've noticed it um, quite significant in the time I've been here, um, for people to actually understand that the board um, has a responsibility to govern. So they should make sure there's uh, a CEO appointed that's capable and competent of running um, the um, the role or the, the club or the uh, business that they're in, uh, and they should be responsible for uh, endorsing and approving and directing the strategic plan. And t- in a very technical sense, the only thing they should do every board meeting is ask about how the strategic plan's going. Uh, the reality is that's in the real world that doesn't happen because, of course, you want to know what player's been picked or dropped or who, you, who you've recruited. But in reality, um, all they should be involved in is implementing the emphasis of the strategic plan. Then you've got a CEO that's responsible for reporting into the board on all of the strategic elements um, and running the business and making sure that um, all of the business elements are running on any given day or week or month to the strategic plan, so not running off and doing something else, um, and that all your checks and balances between the CEO and the, uh, the um, board from a governance and or um, important declarations around the environment that you're in. So for us, it's the salary cap declaration to make sure under the salary cap. Uh, and then the coach should be reporting to the CEO um, and they should be working underneath the rules of the salary cap, um, the the different recruitment intention and policy, for example, of the club and the board and the, and the CEO. Um, and then they would go on a you know, bi-monthly or quarterly basis and report to the board about, you know, how the performance of the team's going. Um, and that would be the chance for the board to ask those questions that, you know, maybe they don't want to ask in public, but, you know, they can ask behind closed doors. So in a technical perfect world, if you wrote it on a piece of white paper and stuck it to the wall, that's how it would work. We all know the lines get a little bit blurred from time to time, but I do think for rugby league to make sure it um, is a sport that's attractive to top-end commercial partners, um, we need to make sure we get those lines of governance and management very clear. No, I absolutely agree with you. Raylene, can you tell us about, as a CEO, your relationship with the players at the Bulldogs? What's that like? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's the one thing uh, – well, it's not the one thing. It is a thing that is challenging. It's hard to get the balance right because um, – you you arrive, you're just some girl that works in a lady, woman, whatever it is, um, sitting in an office that, you know, makes sure you've, you've got some sponsors and does the speeches at the end of your dinner and things like that. And it's to try and get that line because at the end of the day you negotiate their contracts ultimately with their player managers, so you're involved in a significant slice of, of their life. Uh, and in trying to get the balance right so they see you as someone that is supportive of them 
their career and their families and they're creating an environment that's very welcoming for them so that the families feel um, that they're welcome inside the Bulldogs environment. Uh, but at the same time, you know that if they misbehave, you're going to have to you know, growl at them. And um, I had a really great piece of advice from my mentor and he said to me, um, make sure you get close enough that, to show people that you're an authentic leader. So see who the real Raylene is and that you can laugh with them and cry with them and um, be part of the, the experience that they're going through. Uh, but don't get so close that you can't kick their ass. I think that's really, really good advice. So I think it's that kind of balance thing is, is the answer to your question. And it grows over time. Trust grows. You know, you have the sense of humour grows. That, that some, I mean, it's been quite well documented that they call me auntie, um, the Polynesian boys. And so, you know, at first I was like, oh, my goodness, that makes me feel like I'm 100 years old. But for them, it's an enormous sign of respect. Um, some of them um, just call me, um, you know, just call me Ray. And, and um, I've got a couple that call me Dal, so, which is always a bit special, you know, so... And what about Des? How does that relationship work, Raylene? Yeah, it's grown. It's definitely grown over time um, because, as I said earlier, we came into an environment that was very established and in very sound shape. There wasn't anything I had to do um, or be as in, involved as perhaps you would if you went to a club that was in crisis. Um, how I describe it is two circles that cross over in the middle. And to start off with, there was a, a thin slither of orange that crossed over, and that's where Des and I engaged and where our lives and our business um, crossed over. The reality is now that segment of orange in the middle is much greater as the trust grow in um, between us and he recognises that I can add some value to him and help him grow um, particularly in the um, financial investment side of his organisation and the recruitment and that I've managed to retain players and negotiated deals and all of that type of stuff. And we talk on a daily basis and the fact that we've got um, um, sometimes three or four days on a daily basis. Um, if we've got, uh, the fact that we're all integrated in one high performance centre at Belmore is hugely helpful because I physically see him every day. So yeah, it's, it's great. And we have a really fantastic working relationship. I have huge admiration for him because uh, he just has so much belief and passion in the sport and the desire to be better and uh, continually improve. Um, and that's, that's, you know, a huge compliment to him. Raylene, I'm always very interested in the stories behind the players. Can you tell me a story about a Bulldogs player that his on-field persona may be very different to what you see off the field? Uh, I can. Uh, I have someone in mind. <laughs> yeah, and I don't remember whether you were thinking about Josh Reynolds. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and and you know the, the funny thing is his nickname is Grub, and it's sort of it's just you know and Grub Grubby whatever he gets called, <laughs> and it's sort of it probably doesn't help his reputation in a lot of ways, but you never meet a more genuine individual uh, who is. Uh, the guy, the white line guy, you know, crosses the line, plays footy really hard, but walks off the line and is a really gentle soul. And he would do more uh, community work than any other player I've ever come across, and no one knows about it. So he would receive, you know, hundreds of requests a month to go and see sick kids, to go and, um, you know, take girls, drop the girls off at their formals and do all sorts of things. And he tries really hard to do every one of them. And he hardly ever tells us about it. Like someone will say, could you pop into my kid's fifth birthday party? He is a bit of a big kid. So after he turned, he's turned up at the birthday party, thinking he's just going to be there for half an hour, he's 20 minutes, you know, an hour and 20 minutes later, he's still there rolling around on the ground with all the kids and playing footy and doing all that stuff. And he's he is the definition of a clubman. So he is the guy that in, uh, is all, everything about the, what the Bulldogs stand for, tough on the field, supportive off the field, um, and would do anything he can to make the Bulldogs a better brand. So, um, yeah, I have an enormous soft spot for, for Josh. I'm glad you mentioned Josh because he was who I had in mind. It's interesting, before I met him, I didn't, I wasn't a fan. You know, you see what he does on the field. He plays hard and he is a little bit 
grubby. But we had an event at my work and we have a mentor program where we write letters to students at a school for an entire year. And then at the end of the year, the students come in for a big party. And Josh came and spoke just so eloquently and passionately. And he stayed to the very end. No child was left without an autograph, a selfie, whatever they needed, Josh was there to provide. And I often say that he's the most impressive player that I've met off the field, simply because that persona is so different to what you see on the field. And I, I got a letter just the other day from a, there was a young boy who um, had a really significant operation and um, couldn't be at school for a while. And Josh literally would ring him every Monday morning and say, mate, how are you going? Are you all right? And, and I know before he had three months off school and then he was anxious about going back to school because he had been there for a while. And, um, and Josh rang him, you know, on the Sunday night and said, good luck, mate, tomorrow. I really hope it goes well. And, and, you know, those types of things you can't – that's just a good human being. Mm, absolutely. And it's mm. good that there are so many good human beings at the Bulldogs. And, well, there's, a, there's lots of really great human beings, Mary, um, in, in the playing population. By far and away, 98% of the guys that play rugby league are fantastic people, great community, um, tremendously well-behaved, uh, way better behaved than, the, than their um, – playing colleagues of years gone by and way better behaved than the average 25-year-old on any given Sunday or Saturday or Sunday night. Uh, but unfortunately, those 1% or 2% that misbehave and do really ridiculous and, and, and really, really inappropriate things give all of them a bad name. And I'm just not a great fan of ruin, ruining the, the reputation of the majority for a few idiot minority guys. And I completely agree with that. And I get that question so much. How can you love a game that has increasingly shown disrespect towards women? And I say, look, our sport is a reflection of the society in which we live and our sport is going to reflect the issues in our society. But I don't want the behaviour of the minority, and it is a very small minority, to tarnish the exceptional work that so many in the rugby league community are doing off the field. And I think we are actually leaders in the community space and we need to get better at putting our hands up and saying we are leaders. And I think what's important about that is when we're actually tackling the real issues. That's right. So we could have a, we could have a, could have a community program that went along to schools and taught kids how to throw a football, but we're not. We're talking about domestic violence. We're talking about social inclusion and bullying and, and you know, integrating into society, um, you know, a whole lot of different races and creeds and colours um, and health and wellness. I mean, those are really big topics that are affecting society and our boys are actually standing up fronting them. So, yeah, they do some really good work. Yeah, well done, NRL. <laughs> Raylene, during your time at the Bulldogs, have you had any exceptional fan mo- moments or any really memorable moments with fans? Oh, I have had one, actually. I was um, sitting in the kennel uh, for a game. It was the minor final. I always get confused exactly what those finals games are called, but um, against Manly in 2014 when we made the grand final. Mm-hmm. And um, I was sitting there and in the kennel and I'd taken a bunch of mates as well and we'd all sat in the kennel. We decided we'd have a real fan experience to watch the game. And uh, at half time, um, I got a tap on my shoulder, and this um, little girl came up to me. And she was at the time she was about uh, thirteen, um, and her dad was with her. And uh, she she gave me two chocolate bars, and she said two crunch they were crunchy um, chocolate bars. And she said to me, um, her father said to me, she's just used her own pocket money to go and buy these to give them to you because she's just so proud of you being our CEO and she wants to be like you when she grows up. 
And uh, it was just that moment, you know, in the middle of all this hype and this noise and all sorts of things going on, and she just took this moment. And I actually saw her at our fan day a couple of, a couple of uh, weeks ago, and she's now 15, so she's, you know, and, and she came up and she said, do you remember me? I said, yeah, of course I did, and we had a big hug, and it was just – so those types of really special moments. It was absolutely incredible. And I wrote a, bl- I wrote a piece for the website, and I just got something like 15,000 hits on the website, I and mean, it was just incredible, amazing. I hadn't heard that story, so I'll have to jump onto the Bulldogs website and share that yeah, one. Yeah. Okay. Now, Raylene, this question is out of self-interest for sure. If the Parramatta Eels came to you tomorrow and said, Raylene, we're installing you as CEO of the club, what are the first three things you would do? Uh, you, the, the number one thing for a CEO is to make sure it's got a, the organisation's got a stable board because the whole sort of thing about – uh, you know, the fish um, rots from the top and all of that stuff all sounds very cliche, but it's the it's truth. so true. So you need uh, a, a stable board with some really good expertise uh, that is capable of taking an organisation that's had so much trauma over such a long period of time uh, into a stable position. So that's the first thing. Um, and, um, you know, in, in fact, that's the first thing, the second thing and the third thing. Uh, because until you've got that piece right, and that's backed up by good systems and processes and policies and all of those things that no one wants to talk about, um, and they're really boring and actually no one wants to do them. But the reality is until you've got those things in place, um, then the CEO can't do a good job and all the people underneath the CEO can't because they haven't got anything to look at and point to to make sure to understand where their boundaries are. Absolutely, and it's no surprise that clubs with a stable board tend to perform better on the field. It starts from the top and that leadership works its way down. And the best example for me and I was with Rebecca Frizzell um, during the week, who's just an outstanding woman, uh, and, and Graham Annesley, who have been at the Titans. They've put a stable board in place. Um, Graham's just a hugely experienced sports administrator who's got a, a just a, a, a very calm approach and, and considered approach to things with uh, with a great um, touch of of sense of humour. Uh, and when you think about the, what they've done um, in, in a, you know, two and a half years with that stability and everyone at the beginning of the year was picking them to finish last and they're in the top eight. So it's just, you know, and they haven't got the best roster. No. They absolutely haven't. But what they've got is a, a consistent and considered leadership structure that's allowing them to make good decisions and put their football team in a position where they can train consistently and perform consistently. And, and, and because of that, you can see the results. I think the Sharks are a similar story as well. So I sort of look to them as inspiration as a Parramatta fan because two years ago, they were at the lowest of the low. They have a stable board now, a very competent CEO, a great coach and, and a good playing roster and the Sharks have been incredible this year. Absolutely. Raylene, what has been your favourite moment in women's sport this year, turning away from rugby league? Oh, goodness me. There oh. have been a lot, so it's a hard question. And I had given that absolutely no thought, really. Um, I don't know we've seen it yet because I think with the Olympics it's coming up, um, I think that uh, you know there is just – Olympics is one of those true moments where equality – uh, go, is is a, a topic that you don't really have to discuss because you look at the woman that won, wins the hundred meters just as much as you look at the woman that uh, the man that wins the hundred meters and the swimming and the cycling and marathon running and all of those things. So I think you know with enemies carrying the flag for Australia and um, actually being able to you know potentially go on and win yet another you know gold medal. Um, you know she's got to be up there tapping on the door. Uh, it's um, 
Yeah, it's a it's a special time in the Olympics, and it uh, you know if if we can park all of the crazy stuff that's happening with the Russian team and, and celebrate the rest of what uh, what is a really special um, two weeks every four years on the calendar, we'll see lots of amazing female performances. Absolutely. And Raylene, to finish off, it is Women in League Round this week. What's the significance of the round for you? Yeah, it's. It, I get asked, is it is it token? Raylene, is it token? I get that a lot too. And, and my answer is. It doesn't matter if it's if it's why we do it. It's because um, any time any sport stands up and makes a real effort to thank an extraordinary group of people that make a significant contribution, that's important. It's good manners. It's a nice thing to do. And when you've got sixteen franchises, uh, clubs, and and um, the NRL actually making that effort, there's a whole lot of women who have given. Um, the number of volunteer hours I can't even imagine to try and bring together. Just a moment to say thank you very much, buy them a glass of wine, um, you know, give them a day off, those types of things. That, that, that's really important. Um, and it's right through from the volunteer ladies who have worked, you know, all their lives in rugby league, the new additions we get to volunteering, uh, right through, um, you know, the, we've got 38% of our, uh, workforce inside the NRL are female. Now that's a stat that, uh, is not well known, uh, and that's not a new stat. That stat's been there for a long period of time, and we need to celebrate that because that's something that outside of um, the NRL people would have no idea. People would think that you'd be the odd one out in a, in a working if you worked in the NRL club. Uh, right through to the you know the leaders and the um, senior leaders and the the governors and the chairs and things we've got at the sport. So and people like Katie Page who have just been such an advocate for women inside of rugby league for such a long period of time. So uh, you know when you add all those things together, why not step back and say thanks very much? Because you know what, if you took the woman away from rugby league tomorrow, the sport would fall over. No, I absolutely agree. And I think such an important part of it is changing the perception in wider society as well. Because I get asked about female participation in rugby league all the time and I can point to the grassroots I can point to a fish like referees I can point to administrators I can point to women all through our game let's not even talk about broadcasting and mm. Yvonne Sampson Erin Molan etc that are doing amazing things there so I think that's worth celebrating it is worth celebrating and, and you know we've got a, a viewing um, audience of about uh, 52 male 48 female and we've got a membership now which is about uh, 55 45 or close to um, so you're talking about a game that is that genuinely is engaged across our society uh, in, in a family environment and, and it's welcoming regardless of, um, you know, what, as I said earlier, where your background's from or, or what your interests are. And I'm, and I'm enormously proud of that. It's what makes everyone welcome in our game. And I think that's a perfect note to leave it on. Raylene, thanks for coming in this morning. It's been great chatting to you. I've loved this. Yeah, and me too. And, and you know, anytime, Mary, and uh, thanks for putting them together. It's a, You're doing some great work yourself and uh, keep up the good work. I will. Thank you. For more fantastic episodes of the Ladies Who League podcast, be sure to head to ladieswholeague.com to subscribe and to read all our latest blogs.